As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling? All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Nader Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. We are here with you, an excited uh, big day. We're, I mean, look, Bengals Nation is hyped right now. They got their new jerseys, got the uniforms. Everybody's judging, judging, judging. And the draft is, we're single digits away at this point. What else is there? What else is there, Jay? It's, it's, it's high hype season. They're going to get their new players. Then they're going to get the schedule. But, oh, but today, schedule. today could be a divisive day because we are going to anger some people on Team Sewell, I'm sure, talking about wide receivers today. Well, maybe, you know, yeah, maybe. Or maybe they'll hear this and it will convince them even further that they should be on Team Sewell. <laughs> or perhaps seeing Joe Burrow's ACL scar might have uh, convinced them, which – I've, we'll talk about the jersey release and some of the elements of that, including the photo of Joe Burrow being like, "Here it is. Here's the scar." I, by the way, I love. That might be my favorite part of yesterday. Burrow just being like, "Look, scar shot." All right, uh, not afraid of it. So we'll um, we're going to talk about some of the efforts of the jersey relief release. I have uh, I have a story that was sort of the background on uh, the leak. And how the team reacted to the leak that happened back on March 7th and some of the fallout since then that led them to this day and including something cool that they did for some of the fans that were sort of defending them and that that is up uh, on the site right now. Had a lot of fun talking to everybody about that yesterday, uh, including it being called a a bad flea market knockoff. (laughs) Accurate. (laughs) And Elizabeth Blackbird talking about not being able to hold back her frustration with the lighting. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the, the awfulness of that of the eBay photo. <laughs> um, we have our wide receiver stories up. A lot of what we're going to do today is going to be talking wide receiver. So um, that is up on the site. Linebackers also up today. So you can get in, into all of that. Um, 
We are going to have Brody Miller is going to join us. Very excited about that. He has been covering LSU here for a number of years. You remember you you might remember from remember Brody Miller from such episodes as Will the Bengals take Joe Burrow? Uh, <laughs> we had him on, of course, uh, a lot of a lot last year, and um, Brody with some Cincinnati ties, so he's very familiar uh, with the Bengals and. We are happy to bring him back in as we talk about our guy, Jamar Chase, who is back in the crosshairs as Burrow and Chase potentially uh, reunite. So going to be excited uh, to talk to him. So a lot coming. Jay's going to have stats, as you might imagine. Uh, it's going to be good. We're gonna, so we're going to have a, a lot to do here. Um, all right, so let's do it. Let's jump in, Jay. Jersey Day came. Uniform day came. It's very exciting. Everyone was uh, pumped. I guess I don't know. You know the, these things are these things are great. The fans enjoy them. Uh, it's hard when there's when it's not like back in the last time they did this, seventeen years ago. There was a fashion show. It was like a packed house. Um, it was a really cool thing. But this, with the restrictions are in place, there's no players. Uh, there was curtains that were pulled down, and jerseys were all on mannequins. And Welcome to the Jungle played until someone needed to talk, and they're like, "Can we, can we turn that down?" <laughs> uh, I mean, but that's kind of unfortunately that's just the where we're at right now with things. Yeah, it would have been fun to see how they would have done it in a, in a normal world. But I, I thought, and you touched on this in your story, I, I thought they did a really good job with it, and 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 they wanted to make a splash, and that was you know one of the biggest heart sinking moments when the when the jersey did leak is is this is this going to ruin everything we have planned? And and I don't think it, I don't think it took away from it. It was. It was it was well done with the parameters they had to work in, and maybe my favorite thing, you know, you talked about your favorite thing yesterday was Joe just putting that scar right out there for everybody to see. I, I just love what they did for the fans, for the, the the ones that kind of stood up for them when when the bad jersey leaked to to not only invite them to be a part of the the jersey reveal, but a day earlier for the, that whole experience on the field, and then to fly what it was three of them they flew in. Um, you, you hear fans complain all the time. Oh, well that's well and good, but you know, spend some money and, and win some games and, and they didn't have to do that. And, and, and they did spend money to, to bring those people in and, and cater to dinner and, and just, it, it just keeps going back to trying to, to reconnect with the fan base. And I just, I, I thought that was a really cool touch and it was cool to kind of see some of those people too, that follow us on Twitter and put a, put a real live body with the, the avatar. Or uh, body armor, with yes. The Avatar, <laughs> in case of the Bangalorean, uh, who's nice to nice to to meet as well. Um, yeah, you know, it was it was that was that was a really cool thing that they were able to do, and it, it was interesting. They talk about how that was not in their plans necessarily, but they wanted to kind of thank them because they didn't think that they would have been able to get to this point of doing it the right way with all the things that they wanted to do, if not for the few that stood up and kind of said, "Hey, everybody, stop for a second. This is this is not what these things are going to look like," and that the turning point was when. People started photoshopping it correctly, and then when you see that, you say, "Oh, well, that looks good," you know. And I think, and it's the same way when you see the video. I thought the the video was great. 
Um, I love Chad sitting on the throne in the smoking. This like that's as cool. That's about as much of a cool factor as you can get. Uh, you know the the big throne that you build. Uh, and there's there's Chad with the Ocho Cinco on the back of his jersey, smoking a cigar, waiting for the teammates to come. That was a cool moment, and uh, definitely um, a, a, a great way to lead off their video that they did. And so, um, but I don't think there was any major sort of surprises to it. Um, for those, some of the questions, you know, they they have the orange. The orange is technically, I guess, the the alternate jersey that they can't wear more than twice um and then the black is still considered the home and the white is considered the road um there is a you you're allowed to have four jerseys essentially so they have an open spot on their roster if you will for future there won't be any this year but obviously it leaves it open down the road for the addition of a throwback which i think you'll see some other teams start to do this year so but for this year it's just these three jerseys um they have the the pants they have the basically white black and then there's the there's two whites essentially with different colors on the side panel of the stripes and things like that so um if you haven't seen them i you know go go to their site they have all the photos and everything up there so i guess since since, since we're a Bengals podcast we have to declare what we think about them uh like it matters uh but what was your um what what was your okay run past or boot it since that's what we got to do Run, run, run would be one, two would be, you know, pass would be two, and then boot would be your least favorite of all the combos that are available between jerseys and pants. Yeah, I'll run with the all white. I just, I I love it. It's basically the color rush, uh, but now it's the standard white, um, which the color rush was their, their second alternate jersey in the past. And now that that's just been melded into the, into the regular white. That's why they have an opening for a, another alternate. Um, that's by far my favorite. It, it would be so much better with the white helmet. We don't need to get into that, why they can't do it. We've talked about it over and over again, but it, it, it's still, even with the orange helmet, I just, I love that look. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised. They rarely wear all white at home unless it was a night game and it was color rush. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we, we see that combination at one of the nine home games this year. Um, my my second favorite, the one I'll pass on, is the orange jersey, black pants. Uh, I, I like that for whatever reason. I think the it, I've tracked this. I've got a database of what, what the <laughs> Bengals so weird, Jay. what the Bengals record is in orange jerseys, <laughs> and they they I don't know why, but they just play so much better. And it's not like they only trot them out when they're playing the bad teams. Uh, it's usually the bigger games when they trot them out. And for what are, it's the old, if you look good, you play good mentality. And I think the players, well, we know the players really like the orange on black. The, for a long time, the organization strayed away from that that combination. And, and the players uh, really got to Marvin, and Marvin went to the, the front office and, and got the approval, and they started wearing them again a few years back. Um, for the boot, I'm going to go – and it's funny because Elizabeth said yesterday, this is Mike Brown's favorite combination, but the black on white pants. It, I just, I, I would, I prefer all black. Um, so I, I don't hate any of them, but that's probably my least favorite, the, the black jerseys and the white pants. So this is interesting. So I, I would boot the white on white. <laughs> and I don't know why I just, and I know it's like one of the most popular out there. It is, 
you know, it's it's one of those that the fans love. I just for whatever reason I just uh, don't as much. But I I will run with the the orange the orange with the black the the orange jersey with the black pants. I just for what the 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 way this is con- these are kind of constructed and the changes they made have to me made that like really stand out and pop to me. So I run with that and then I'll pass my number two would be the black on black. I think the black on black is smooth. It always kind of has been, but I think when you, when you go a little bit more minimalist with, uh, and sleeker with kind of what they went for, uh, with this, it makes the, the all black, I think stand out even more. Uh, so for that fact, I, I, you know, I, people are like, Oh, they hardly change at all. There is a, there is a lot of change actually. Um, when you, think of just people don't really people blow out of proportion how much you can really do to a jersey like i i don't know what you wanted like we saw some of the prototypes uh of things trust me they would have <laughs> been panned the crazy things that you can do if you want to see big change right like i i don't know that big change is possible or necessary or would look good at all um I think you, you most of the best jerseys that people like are simpler, and I think this does uh, a, a pretty did a pretty good job of that. So, in in you know, good to them. Yeah, I mean, this is a Midwest city. It's it's not you don't see big change around here. I, I think it's it's it was the right way to go overall, but especially for this city and for this fan base, the it, it was smarter to go with subtle tweaks as opposed to something brash and new like the Rams did last year, which just got panned. You, you, you like to have a little bit of debate, but you don't want it to be so skewed where, where you know, right now the, de- the debate seems to be between love it and like it. You don't want that debate to be between love it and hate it. And I think if you go brash, that's, that's always going to be the case. I would have been intrigued by orange pants to go with the orange Jersey circus peanuts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would have I would have liked to have seen that what that looks like and potentially uh could grow on people I think but that would be that be maybe the only major addition that I that I would make to what they did. Yeah, I don't know if I don't we we saw the dolphins wear a version of that and that that's where you know, the first time it looked like circus peanuts and that's all I can think of if anybody goes all orange. I think the Broncos have a version of that too. I just I don't like that at all. Yeah. Um all right, so um Again, the story on sort of how the team reacted to the leak uh, that came out is 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 up on the site now. You can subscribe. Just uh, go check the link. Uh, it's on Twitter or just go to theathletic.com and go to the Bengals section. You see it all right there um, as they kind of discuss. It was it was really interesting talking to everybody about it. I, when when the when the leak first happened in March, I mean, there was that day and a half of everybody kind of thinking like, what is this? Um you know, is this real? And then you realize, okay, it is real when the team wasn't even commenting on it. Um, you know, specifically, uh, outside of the, I dropped my phone in the tub and did I miss anything? Uh, and by the way, the fur, the, the tiger fur coat, uh, is spectacular. Now that thing, that thing needs to be sold in the pro shop. Can we get a bunch of those? Can they recreate those? I like that. Uh, Seth Tanner, the director of content, said that he just he bought that off eBay, ironically, uh, <laughs> to to use for their their April Fool's Day joke. It, what I regret about that, or the the, the biggest missed mark there, because you got people talking about how when it, it the tide turned when they started seeing the photoshopped versions of the New Jersey. 
I actually, when when they tweeted that out, I got a hold of a photographer who obviously at, at my old paper where I used to work at Dayton Daily News, those guys know Photoshop like the back of their hand. I said, hey, can you can you somehow Photoshop this onto a, a Joe Burrow photo or something? Cause it just, <laughs> I, I thought, I mean, we saw, we had seen the jerseys Photoshopped and, and he's like, oh, I'm too busy. Get out of here with that. But I really wish someone would have done that. And maybe they did. Maybe I just missed it, but I would love to see that, that thing <laughs> that Seth bought Photoshopped onto a player in, in an actual game situation photo. You know, on those cold, cold games, they wear those big jackets yeah. on the sideline. The like the over the like all the way down to their like they they should make those all tiger fur coats <laughs> and hope it doesn't rain. No, <laughs> <laughs> or well, snow. It probably is raining in that case. <laughs> if you're wearing it, maybe okay. So my idea has a flaw, Jay. <laughs> it's about the look. It's about the look. Um, all right. So again, and thanks everybody for talking so openly about it. You know, it was a, a moment of total freak out uh, for everybody inside of the organization when that happened. And, but I think, and I would agree with them. I think that they, they made the right decision rather than just slapping a Jersey on Joe Burrow immediately uh, uh, or, or trying to force it out and not let the, the internet dictate what they should do. And it, and it worked out. And um, so good, good for them for, for doing that and doing it the right way. And like, like you said, rewarding some of the fans that were the most vocal and sort of defending them against the onslaught. Um, all right, we're going to talk about receiver, but before we do that, um, I do want to talk to you a little bit about Shattered, uh, in case you didn't know about it yet. Um, it's it's a new podcast here from The Athletic. It's called Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks. It's a documentary-style podcast series of the past 20 years of the Knicks. Any... any any Bengals fan that came up in the '90s and like loved that era for the badness a little bit can really appreciate uh, the this podcast about the badness of the Knicks. Uh, it's hosted by Chuck D. It's all the wild, crazy stories of the past two decades under James Dolan, uh, including what it's like to be banned from the Garden, which is fantastic. Talk they talked to Patrick Ewing, Penny Hardaway, Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson. Uh, you know, coaches, execs, you name it. Um, they talk about the failed pursuit of LeBron James in the summer, the decision, uh, the end of the 90s Knicks, David Fisdale and Chris Stapps Porzingis and their weird relationship and what everybody has to say uh, about working for James Dolan. Uh, new episodes of Shattered are released every Tuesday. Uh, episode four is out now in the Athletic app and episode three is out everywhere else. So search for Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, let's uh, let's jump into the receiver conversation. Receiver draft strategy is out now. It is, um, you know, that offensive line, um, uh, kind of some of the the deeper dives because we went really heavy on the top and the depth um, of of these drafts because the, the the Bengals are in the mix there to to get things done, and the drafts fit that the uh, the line is deep, the receiver draft is deep. There's a lot of different ways that you can attack this, and that's what's made Chase versus Sewell such a fascinating conversation. So what I wanted to do is before we dive in on that conversation, let's talk about Jamar Chase. Hello, Jamar. How you doing? <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's, it's time to talk about Jamar Chase, and to do that, we got to bring in Brody Miller. So I, 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 Brody, of course, was uh, who we talked to last year during all the Joe Burrow stuff. He was fantastic, and we're bringing him back. He's been covering LSU for us for a long time, as good of an insider as you get, uh, does great stuff. Uh, also, um, there's an episode of The Lead, our podcast, with Larry Holder, who wrote the big piece on Jamar Chase, and he talks about that. And There's a lot of the, the background and audio of his conversations with Jamar Chase's parents, who Brody will talk to us about here. Um, and so I highly recommend going out and listen to that if you're looking for some more on Jamar Chase. But for now, uh, here's our conversation with our LSU beat writer, Brody Miller. All right, now we're going to uh, bring an old an old friend uh, back into the show. Maybe, you know, well, I guess we'll have to look uh, at the 2022 and 2023 LSU draft class, find out who we'll be asking you specifically about next year. But well, we're going to bring in from LSU, Brody Miller. Brody, what's up? I was thinking maybe we should just start, you know, putting my LSU stories every week on the Cincinnati page just to start being proactive about yeah. you know, who the Bengals might draft. Yeah, no, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Doing good. Obviously, you know, we're uh, we're here talking about Jamar Chase specifically as we're we're full in on the the wide receivers and particularly number five overall here on this episode. And it was a perfect chance to bring you back. Uh, the one thing I want to ask about. In particular, and you were this was so f- fun last year to to hear so much of the backstory of Joe Burrow and the relationships he made on the team and, and how he kind of created this thing there was what was Jamar Chase's role in that? What was his relationship with Burrow like? Was it notable or was it he just kind of another one of the guys? No, I mean it's it's a good question. Jamar, you know, Jamar wasn't the kind of, you know, singular personality Joe Burrow was that like, you know, everybody like Joe. I mean, we talked for a long time about Joe. You guys know this well now. Different guy. It's not like everybody was like best friends with Joe. Jamar was just that guy who the best way to describe Jamar is Jamar's just cool. I mean, like he's just a guy who he's not that out, you know, absurdly outgoing, but he's talkative and funny. He's the guy who just everybody just kind of is like. I want to be around him, I guess what I'm saying. And I say that to say he wasn't the vocal guy in that offense when it was getting put together. He wasn't, you know, some guy who was leading meetings or anything, but he was a part of, you know, Joe Burrow organized these just, you know, throughout the entire spring and summer, these lengthy players only workouts where they would basically, because the team can only have so many practices and whatnot, 
they would basically install the entire offense all spring and summer, basically just been players only practices. And Jamar Chase was a big part of that. He would be there every single week. And, and, you know, him and Joe Burrow, it's not like they were best friends or anything, but they had this really funny relationship because Joe is so intense and so detail oriented. And so, you know, like if you're not here at this exact spot, I'm going to give you a weird look and all these things. And Jamar was actually like the, the comic relief at times because he would just tell us these stories about kind of how weird Joe is that he would just be like, man, Joe would just like death stare me for like five minutes. Cause I ran a route like 30 seconds wrong, you know, or something like that. So it, yeah, he's a different kind of personality and I'm sure we're going to get to it in a minute, but he wasn't necessarily, you know, the guy who was putting this all together, but he was that, that singular talent that, that kind of made it all boom that maybe it wouldn't have without him. It's funny you mentioned his personality and how talkative and funny he is because his pro day Zoom was my first experience seeing him in that kind of a setting, and just the how how much he downplayed the the, the prospect of reuni- reuniting with Joe. I mean, did he seem like a different guy to you in that Zoom? Was he a little more guarded? No, I'd say that was the the definition of a Jamar answer. Actually, it was kind of just like a. <laughs> Like, a, I don't care. I'll play where, like, I'll play wherever, you know? Like, I don't think he thinks that much about it. I don't think he's going to be like, he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, it would be kind of cool to be with Joe, I guess, you know? But, like, I think he's, hey, I'll play football wherever I have to play football, and I'm not going to lose much sleep over it. I think that's kind of how Jamar is. I mean, somebody who, and Larry Holder's story captured it well, but I wrote about a bunch in the past. It's like, he doesn't even, like, like the attention. He doesn't really... He's not, I mean, he's funny and he's cool and all those things I said, but he's not somebody who like, I mean, his dad tells stories about like Mardi Gras 2020 after they won the championship and he's a New Orleans guy and everyone's like hounding him and he's just like, can I go home? Like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't want to be part of this and, and stories of going out to dinner and like just getting hounded in Baton Rouge restaurants. And he's just like, this is, this is crazy. So, you know, he's, he's different in that way. So I think that was actually a perfect glimpse of him of just kind of like a, yeah, man, don't be corny. Like, I guess I'll play there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we saw him in, in develop uh, over the course of his career, too, kind of along with Burrow and really the whole offense. I mean, you know, every we, how everybody – what was the biggest difference, you know? Was, was it just Joe Brady and Burrow's development and unlocking the keys to that that helped turn him up, or did you see – a difference in his game that helped kind of him discover who he really can be. Yeah. Jamar's development was really fascinating because his freshman year, it was kind of like, you know, Terrace Marshall was the bigger recruit and all that, but, but Jamar, I mean, the first few weeks of camp, they were like, this guy's going to be a star here. They're like, this guy's going to be a wide receiver one. And it just, and some of it, like, because we talked so much like last year about the offense, but it just didn't quite work. And some of it was just, he was just a freshman. He was still learning, you know, how to run routes at the college level, how to get pressed, things like that. I mean, that was just part of the things you have to develop. But some of it was, you know, Jerry Sullivan, who's now with the, with the Arizona Cardinals, you know, his scheme, you know, they kind of asked, he, he runs a very pro receiver kind of like route tree and all these things. So then the freshman usually took a while to, to get there. So a lot of the freshmen never really broke through and it was like, you could see how good Jamar was, but it just never like, they never got him the ball that much because Justin Jefferson in 2018, I should say, was the only one who really like knew everything he was doing and that Joe trusted. But then right around bowl season, a bowl season, I'm sure you guys know, is when a lot of the times the freshmen break out because they finally have those like four weeks of practice to just do extra things. And Jamar and Terrace both 
really took a leap in the bowl. And I forget his stats from the Fiesta Bowl, but Jamar had a really good game. I think he had over 100 yards or at least a big play. And all of a sudden it was like, all right, Jamar's ending the season on a strong note. Let's let's see if he's the the guy in 2019. And I don't think anyone kind of expected what he did. And, and to answer your question, it's not like there was some change in his game. I think a lot of it was Joe Brady and Joe Burrow and that scheme finally getting the most out of it, figuring out how to use them. And some was just, yeah, being ready to play at the SC level in year two. Sometimes it's just that simple of needing a year. And yeah, he just came out and it was it was kind of fascinating because he's still Justin Jefferson was still technically the main guy for the first like, like if you ask somebody who the number one receiver at LSU was the first seven weeks of that season, you'd probably say Justin Jefferson still. But it was just like each game, Jamar Chase would just kind of take over for like a quarter at a time. And then by the time, like I would say like the Alabama game came, it was like, wait, are we talking about this wrong? Is is Jamar the best receiver? Which was why it was almost weird that like Jamar won the Blitnikoff and Justin didn't win a lot of things because it was like, wait, we thought he was the best guy all year. And then the last like five weeks, we finally understood it. But he just had this ability to just like dominate a matchup. And I always compare it to like an NBA player, like a like a know, James Harden, like where it's just they go heat check and all of a sudden score 18 and a quarter. And it's just that ability to like, all right, this this is mine. I'm going to take over for this next six minutes. That was that was Jamar because I think of the Texas game, the Florida game, the Auburn game, definitely the Bama and Clemson games. There were times where things were a little stalled and things were a little uh, iffy and and they didn't really know what they were doing yet. And, you know, the offense wasn't flowing and all of a sudden Jamar would just kind of not to oversimplify, kind of put the team on his back and Joe would just target him like five times in a row. It would ruin a cornerback's life a little bit. And they would, he would just put up like 80 to 100 yards in a quarter and all of a sudden LSU would either be in control or winning the game by 10. And and that that's kind of how I think of Jamar. It was almost like this heat check score at times. I mean, the national championship game is the perfect example, mm-hmm. right? I mean, much was made. I remember specifically going back and rewatching that because much was made of the way the offense was struggling. And, oh, my God, is, it, is Clemson finally going to kind of find a way to slow down? And then it was Burrow drops back, and it's the deep ball to chase, and it was a boat race from that point forward. I'm glad you brought that up because I remember talking because, I mean, yeah, I was the whole first quarter. I'm like, wow, LSU's offense finally stopped. And I remember talking to some offensive coaches after the game privately, and I was just kind of like, yeah, what happened there? Like, what? And he, they said, just dead serious, we were just utterly shocked they tried to cover our receivers and man. Like, they were just like, because no one had even dared to do that this entire season. They were just so shocked they tried to play man that they like were a little frazzled for like a few minutes. And then all of a sudden they realized like, wait, you're leaving. Cause Jamar was doubled and tripled even at times the final seven games of the year. Like Jamar never had single coverage. And then all of a sudden Clemson's playing him in single coverage, with AJ Terrell. And they're like, Oh, okay. Let's just, that's, it was that simple. It was like, all right, we're just going to attack AJ Terrell. And obviously that's a first round pick right there. And yeah, it was exactly like that. They were just like, it was that exact example, just heat check. And, the deep ball over, I think it was first a deep ball down the sideline where he just beats him by seven yards for like a 50-yard score. Then the next drive, he beats him again down the sideline, catches it, cuts back, makes him run right by him and goes for another 20 yards. And then the next drive, I want to say, they're in the red zone. He beats him for a fade in the corner. So it was basically three straight touchdowns in a row that were just uh, Jamar Chase beating beating A.J. Terrell. For, and and that's, that was the story of that game. They went on to win it, which is why I always – when everyone always talks about, you know, it sounds like I'm just hyping him up. I mean, it doesn't really have many flaws, obvious ones at least. And I remember 2020 Combine, everybody was, everybody asked every corner at the 2020 Combine, who's the best receiver you faced in college? And it was, 
it was bizarre. It was, it was, it was down the list, every single one of them, every single SEC corner or Texas corner was like, oh, Jamar Chase. And he was the guy who wasn't even in that year's draft. He's still another year. And I think that was very telling when you saw people doubting his decision to opt out and all that, which I understand. I get it, I guess. I don't know. But but when everyone was doubting that decision to opt out, I just kept saying, I understand, but there's I can't think of anyone in college football who has less to prove on film because he went up against five, six guys who then were drafted that spring in the NFL draft. So he's literally proven on film against seven of the top 10 defenses in the country that you know this is what he looks like against NFL receipt cornerbacks. I don't think he had that much left to prove. You know what, what you've been talking about, what he did in the national championship game is what we've been talking about for months and that that deep ball connection with Joe. And I mean, that obviously is a big part of the decision of, of why they would take him. But but other than his the deep ball skills, like what in your mind is where he really stands out or what is his strongest trait beyond just that the, the, deep, the deep fighting for the deep ball? Yeah, it's a great question because. He, it's funny, I always thought of that as his greatest strength through most of 2019. Like, if you asked me, I would have said that. And then I looked back, and I was doing all my stuff before the 2020 season, before he opted out, going through different stats and all that stuff. And I ended up realizing his greatest strength is something that I think just, like, wasn't that obvious to a lot of us. And I'm pulling up the number now. But, I mean, and a lot of this, you know, Dane, Dane Brugler has written about this a lot. There's a lot of examples. But his greatest strength actually is that he is basically built like a running back. You know, he's six foot about 200, right? Somewhere in that range. And not just like, Oh, he's built like a running back, but he plays like a running back and he played running back a good amount in his youth days. And he actually led all, according to sports info solutions, led all FBS receivers and broken tackles in 2019 uh, yards after the first contact with 411. Like he, 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 this insane. We talk about all the, I keep mentioning the heat check thing, but what made it so dominant was a lot of the time it would just be Burrow hitting him for an eight-yard pass, and then he would just shake off a guy. I mean, and that sounds like overly simplistic, like, oh, he just shook off a guy. But he's shaking off SEC tacklers and would just go for 20-yard game, 30-yard game. He's – I almost put him ahead of CeeDee Lamb in that category in terms of being able to get the ball and just – look like a running back in open field, being able to go off contact, being able to beat a guy in a one-on-one. So I tend to lean to that's his actual greatest strength. Hmm. Well, you know, a lot of SEC receivers can say this next line, but go look at the <laughs> Vanderbilt tape. I was uh, going to say that. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's a game where he his, his after catch was really just like on display. He's running away from people. He's breaking through tackle. He did a little bit of everything. Now, granted, I guess we have to throw a little bit of <laughs> Vanderbilt with a shrug in there, but yeah. still, uh, you know, it's not like that was the only time that he did it. So let's let's stop being the hype man here. Like yeah. let's let's calm down, Flavor Flav. Let's go with a little yeah. bit of weakness. Like what 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 would give you any hesitation uh, if if you were on the clock and thinking about turning in Jamar Chase at number five overall? Yeah, I know. I thought about this quite a bit, like the last few days when I knew it was coming on because I knew this is something I hate overhyping somebody, but it's just. I hate that I've been on your show two years in a row, just hype. But we're talking about top five picks, so it tends to be how. Well, yeah, Bengals fans would be comfortable if the hype follows what <laughs> what came next. Is it the girl? I'm just like God. I just sound like the biggest LSU homer on earth right now. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, there's no obvious football flaw to me. You know, I mean, there are things that aren't necessarily like his ultimate strength. You know, I think Justin Jefferson was the best route runner in that room, for example. But I think Jamar's a pretty good route runner. I think he's very good after the catch. He's good in the air. You know, all those things. I don't know if there's a – and he's a really – because he's not a talker, because he's not the guy everyone's writing about all the time, 
we didn't talk as much about like his work ethic, but then you talk to like his trainers and there's some really fascinating guys in New Orleans who work with him um, and do this kind of, you guys should write about it eventually. It's really weird body composition studies and stuff like that. And, you know, they talk about, he's actually just one of the hardest workers in that program. And anyone else, you would tell you that. So I don't have a clear flaw. I mean, yeah, you can point out the concern about opting out, but again, I think he had valid reasons for that. There really isn't, I guess you could look at his size, but again, he's built well and he plays taller than six foot. So I hate myself for this, but I don't have an obvious flaw. I've tried to think of one for a while. And I just don't think there really is one. How much did you do? Were you able to track what he was doing during that opt out season or was he just really off the radar for you guys? Off the radar in the sense that he's very quiet, but but luckily his his dad Jimmy is a, a very cool guy, and he's he's not afraid to tell you anything. Uh, but um, yeah, he so he trained mainly in Dallas with um, his place Exos. I'm sure you guys know a lot of NFL players work out there, and I think he spent you know a, a good portion of those those six months there, kind of working out with you know Brent Callaway and those guys, and I think that's that was a big part of it, and which is why his his pro day was so impressive. I mean, we all knew he was a really good athlete. Now that was a surprise, but to see him go out there and run a four three eight to I think it was an eleven inch vertical, eleven foot vertical, all these things. I mean, it was that was really impressive. So I think he did a lot of that. A lot of just he stayed in Baton Rouge for a little while, and and I know in that Zoom that Jay was on, he told stories about not being able to watch games because that year was so rough that he would just have to like walk away and turn off the TV. But yeah, I mean, I think it was mainly just traveling and training in Dallas. He worked with some guys in new Orleans because those I'm, I'm so upset. I'm forgetting their company right now, but and doing a lot of stuff with them because they, they get a lot of credit for his bizarre balance. And I, it's, crushing me that I can't remember the company because he's they, they do this incredible training on like bot his body and his balance and all those things. And that's why like, he's so hard to tackle because he just, he always kind of resettles himself, but yeah, I think it was mainly just training in Dallas. Sorry for the long answer. Uh, Terrace Marshall. Let's, let's jump in there real quick. Yeah. Let's say, let's say he becomes part of the equation. I mean, what, what did you make of it? Like you say, he was the bigger prospect coming out uh, and maybe, maybe a guy that people thought that we'd be talking a little bit more about. I mean, he's still a major prospect. What, what do you make of his game and what, what he would bring? Let's specifically try to keep it through the lens of the deep ball that the Bengals are kind of keeping an eye on True. too. Cause that seems to be, that's kind of a big part of his strength, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Terrence Marshall. Yeah. It was, one of the number one recruits in the entire country, definitely in Louisiana, was like a six. I don't know his exact numbers, but he's like a freak. He's a physical freak. He's like six through six three, two fifteen, or something like that, or two twenty. And he was pretty much in, like you know, I said Jamar just didn't quite click that freshman year. Terrace was injured most of that freshman year, so it was kind of people were labeling him a bust. But his sophomore year, the funny thing to always remind people is he broke the LSU pre-existing single season touchdown record in twenty nineteen while missing three games, but he was third on his own team. So everyone broke the record. So no one's even going to remember Terrace Marshall's season that much because it was like 13, 17 by Jefferson and 20 by Chase. So, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a very, he was really good with Burrow on that deep ball for, and, more importantly that he was kind of the red zone guy for Burrow. And he was the guy, you know, you not to oversimplify, I don't think he was just throwing fades, but he would kind of put those, you know, those little faded balls in the corner a lot for Marshall. And he'd win those battles a lot. And obviously some of those are against weaker corners, but a lot of those, like we said, are guys in the NFL right now. And then 
you know, and he was finally getting back to his normal athletic self in 2019, but he still had a little more injuries. And that is going to be a question mark with him, I would imagine. But then 2020 came and it was finally a chance to see him as the main guy. And he didn't even have a Joe Burrow as a quarterback. He had a Miles Brennan who played pretty well and he had some freshmen. And he was better than I expected. I mean, I expect him to be a very good receiver, expect him to be a day two guy, all those kind of things. Not even I expected him to go out there and just dominate like that and show his skill set is even more than the deep ball. I mean, he had nine touchdowns in five games for like 600 yards. He had like two different 200-yard games. I mean, he he just kind of – I talk about Jamar Chase and taking over, else you didn't have as many options in 2020. So Terrace Marshall, while everyone was double-teaming him, really did just take over. And he's a really high-character guy in that locker room. He's a guy who like I, – I wrote a story a while ago where like he's the guy who literally picks up trash around the building and literally picks up his teammates mm-hmm. – uh, dirty laundry because he doesn't want the equipment guys to get it so yeah he's a guy who has all the physical tools it seems like the main critiques of him are you know consistency route running things like that they just want to be more polished and things like that but but physically he's as good as anyone in the country i would imagine you know whether it's terrence marshall or jamar chase i'm just curious what what that dynamic was like among that receiver group. Cause if yeah. it's either one of those guys coming here, it's going to be a talented room. And was it just a case in 2019 where they're winning and there's Joe's throwing the, there's enough to go around for everybody or, or how competitive was, was that group with each other to try to be the top guy yeah. on the team? Yeah, it was actually a really cool, fun room to cover. That's what made that whole season so fun is like every different position group had just like something weird and cool going on. But those, those three receivers together, Jefferson, Chase and Marshall, they they had this like they were completely best friends. I mean, they did like everything together. They went out to dinner every day, all that stuff. And they, you know, Jamar, for example, is not a dancer. And his parents laugh very hard at like watching him, you know, because it became like a national thing. Right. They would like <laughs> dance after every touchdown. They had all these choreographed things. They had fun with it. Jamar, for example, is and Terrace, too, actually, are pretty kind of shy guys who aren't – Justin's a talker, but the rest aren't. And Jamar's chair still, like, cringe being like, wait, is that Jamar dancing you know, on national television all those <laughs> things? But, yeah, they had a really cool group because they were constantly pushing each other. I mean, they are really competitive with each other, but they still very much understood, and Joe Brady did a good job of explaining to them that, like, it's not a position where it's like one getting it doesn't mean the other does. If you play well, that means the other guys can be more open and vice versa. And they understand that. So they had a really good relationship in that way. And they had a thing where they kind of brought everything out of each other. You know, I think Justin brought they like Justin and Jamar were good at bringing Terrace out of his shell. And Justin was getting good at getting things out of Jamar, but Jamar was really good at pushing Terrace. You know, they had a, a really cool thing going there. And then the guy who was kind of stirring all that was, definitely joe he was the the guy who was kind of instigating and pushing and really kind of you know they i think they would tell you they probably wouldn't be as good as they are without joe so it was a really just fascinating dynamic of of chemistry and everything coming together all right Brady. so who who are we going to be calling you about next year who, who's uh <laughs> well, who, who actually, are we talking about uh, maybe maybe it'll be in the top five again who knows but who, who are we gonna be I was talking gonna about? say if they're actually in the top five again you might be calling me you'll probably be calling me about Derek stingley jr who is yeah if I, I mean, it's between him and Kayvon Thibodeau at, at Oregon, but I would assume they're the one and two prospects in the draft next year. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like the perfect cornerback built in the lab. So you might be calling me about him. Who knows? 
Yeah. I I know Derek Stingley. I actually this, oh, is, yeah. this is where you get into the small world of the NFL. Yep. I know Derek Stingley, the dad, Derek Stingley. Yep. He was the coach of the Albany uh the Albany team that I covered in the Arena Football League Jeez. 2, not the not number 1 arena, the <laughs> minor leagues of Arena Football That's in my amazing. early days. He was their head coach and his little uh his little son Derek Jr was always running around and like literally covering these professional athletes as like a 10-year-old. Yeah, he's literally uh, a quarterback lab it's actually kind of weird yeah it's it's wild so that that will be fun there's there's a chance we'll be talking about that yeah if the Bengals secondary blows up this year we'll be calling you next year about (laughs) Derek Stingley Jr. Brody appreciate it man uh get back to it we will uh, we'll talk to you soon all right thanks for having me as always guys take care all right let's just take a quick break and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, great to hear from Brody. And, uh, you know, let's – he go. He went in-depth on, on Jamar Chase and obviously, you know, Terrace Marshall as well. But let's let's talk about Chase at five. Here's here's we've said this before but i feel like it was we're talking about receivers and chase here it's time to say it again here's here's why i think it's chase and i wrote this and it's i just don't believe that they would smoke screen this um in that you know we've heard a lot from them and maybe we will now more duke tobin and zach taylor are going to talk before the draft about the depth of the offensive line class and, and 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 about the ability to take care of that down the road. And we haven't heard the same things about the receiver class. Even though it is deep, it's different. The class is – there's a lot of slot-heavy type players, and this is a, so there's a size differential. There's a lot of shorter, smaller players where maybe they offer speed if you're talking about Dwayne Eskridge or, or even Tutu Atwell, but they're not, they're not going to give you the size, speed – combo for for that explosiveness that you're looking for downfield that you would want out of an everyday receiver and that plots as chase he's such a perfect fit he has the burrow connection he has the deep ball thing like he has all the things the explosiveness they're looking for out of their offense and you take into account the ability to get offensive linemen later in the draft and and i some teams might want to smoke screen but i think this team by not kind of being afraid to, to say that is more talking to their fans. I mean, we talked about fans at the top of this podcast. I, I think they want fans to understand why they wouldn't draft protection for Burrow at the top, you know, like because everyone's seeing that and screaming that uh, at, at the beginning. But when you when they look at it more, I think you can you can see this this side of the argument, which you know most Bengals fans have come over to the Chase side, and that's and that's totally fine. But I think that's why I think you've heard some of that stuff from them. Is is that reason exactly? Is is that they, I think it, they would care more about the negativity of a PR hit of passing on a offensive lineman who could be you know generational. Every talking about how great Penesul is, and there's a poster with his name hanging up on the side of the stadium. Rather than they would care about, you know, trying to avoid other teams having uh, an idea of what they might do. Yeah, it, 
you don't know what the what next year's tackle class is going to look like. It's obviously a deep tackle class this year. There, it just there's it, it makes it makes so much sense to go chase, even though you know we spent all last run up to the draft talking about they got to protect Joe Burrow and they didn't, and everybody saw what happened. But it just it everything, and you wrote it about you wrote about it too how they they never went after a receiver in free agency. It's just everything lines up where where it makes chase it, it, there's not a there's it's not right and wrong. It, it's it's good and better. The, those the decisions on those two guys. And the the other interesting thing is cuz you wrote about this too with with T Higgins having eight games basically that he started and Joe Burrow started and they both finished. They they think he can be a number one receiver, but you you don't truly know yet. And if if they were if they if if Joe and T had a full season together and, and T went to the Pro Bowl or was All Pro or whatever, then maybe that changes the decision. But but you don't know for sure yet if if T Higgins can be a number one guy. So why not go get that that guy at number five that you believe can be the number one? And if you have if if T does develop into a two number. Uh, it, a number one and you have two ones or a one and a one a that's that's a great problem to have but i i just they need that other playmaker there and the the size thing i think is really interesting because you look at you look at um tyree kill and how small he is and he's he is a defense stretcher he can get it done down the field we, we he has more deep passes than anybody but it, it, it that size is always going to be an injury concern, and then this franchise is still snake bit from from the John Ross taking a slight receiver in the first round and, and his injury problems. It just it just everything seems to point to, to Chase as the guy at five, and let let the offensive line issues kind of fill in from there. I'm still Team Sewell. I mean, yeah. personally, I don't. No one should care what I would do like I'm not making a decision I still I, I still I still would value taking the tackle over the receiver just because it's so much harder to find them and how much they still need that position um and you know like I you know I, I look at what you could do I I, I love my 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 draft crush and this is like stupid I don't, I don't know why I hate when people talk about this but it, like I I sat and I could just sit and watch Rashad Bateman play all day. I, I I really like Rashad Bateman. I think he's got a whole lot of savvy. I think his tape last year wasn't as good. I tend to give people excuses. I, I give a benefit of the doubt to a lot of people that maybe didn't play as well in a year that you didn't even know was going to happen. Especially you're in the, you know you're in the Big Ten and it was like seasons off, it's on, and all that stuff. I just. He was a beast in 19. I love the way he plays the game. I think he's going to be a great player. I don't know if he would be around in the second round even. Um, Nate Nate Tice, who does a podcast with Robert Mays, talked about he has him above Chase. Uh, he, he had Chase third, I believe, and Bateman too. And, you know, but there there's a lot of people you see with Bateman at the back of a top 50 board. So who knows? But a guy like that, a guy like Diami Brown, from North Carolina brings you. He's got a, a lot of savvy. He can he can go deep. He's got the speed. He's got all the stuff that you need to still be that for you, but be there in the second. And we talked about we were taking him in the third round of the mock draft because Dane Brugler had him back in the sixties, and we were going off that. And if that's the case, man, you're you feel like the way they talked about Logan Wilson last draft. 
where you're like, man, we never thought we would be able to get Logan Wilson at this point, and we're sweating at the entire second half of the second round and even thinking about going up. You could see something like that. So I, I tend to look at some of those options and get excited about what that what they could do still, even if they dropped back. Um, but you're right. I mean, that you know, here's the other thing about the T. Higgins thing. Um, and I want to run down a couple of these numbers that are in the story for people that haven't gone through it yet. But you know, as far as him being a wide receiver, one, it's not just the eight games that he played that he started and finished with Burrow, which would have put him on pace for 80 receptions, over 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, averaging over 15 yards per reception. Only five receivers this century, Paul's got stats, have touched all three of those numbers in either of their first two seasons. So forget rookie, forget second-year jump, only five players. Josh Gordon, when he went bonanas in the one, the one year he was he was with it, Victor Cruz, Odell Beckham Jr., Allen Robinson, and DK Metcalf. I mean, that's that's the company he would have been in in a, in a full season. I mean, really, I, to me, that's the bar of expectations for what he will be in year two. Because when you look at the average jump of somebody that was in the same receiving yards per game tier as a rookie, I went through 18 of them, 14 of the guys that were in that same tier of uh, ranked in the top 20 to 40 in the league in receiving yards per game as a rookie. That second year went up an average of 11 yards per game. Almost all of them, 14 of the of the 18 went up substantially. I mean, if you take that, you know, that to me is what T Higgins will be, should be. That's his range. That's who he is. You also take pressure off Jamar Chase having to be wide receiver one day one. And I think that's a big part of this too. Yeah, and the the other thing with the, the what you were talking about, that second year leap, I mean, how many of those guys had an A.J. Green that departed that all of a sudden creates more opportunities for them? And, and they're, you, I mean, what, what would that leap look like what, you know, with T. Higgins getting – more targets you would assume this year. Now, if if it's Jamar Chase coming here, then obviously those are going to be split up. But it, it, I don't know. I the exercise of extrapolation is always kind of dicey, but I, I think it fits here. Where you're talking about what T. Higgins' numbers would look like in a full 16 game seasons when you take those eight he had with Burrow, because we saw the way that offense really started clicking around midseason. So I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a stretch to say just because he had this in eight games, he would have that in the other eight games. I, I think it, it would have been better. You look at some of the – they played the Texans and the Giants and the Cowboys. They they played some vulnerable defenses in the second half of the year. And just seeing that connection with, with Burrow to Higgins grow in the second half of the season, I, I, I think that's a conservative estimate, just doubling the 8 to 16. So, yeah, they hope he can be a number one. He, he looks like a number one, but you just – you just never know until it happens. And this is going to be uh, kind of an unfair thing because of there's a lot of talent on the offensive line in Dallas. But look at what Dak Prescott was doing before he got hurt last year when they trotted out. They drafted C.D. Lamb to add to an already great receiver group. Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb. Now, granted, they have 
Well, Collins and Tyron Smith and, and Zach Martin. And a lot of guys up front, and that's fine. But they, but they had their share of offensive line problems. The point being, though, is look at what their offense was able to do. Their defense was an unmitigated disaster, but that's not the conversation here. It, it, Prescott was having an unbelievable year before his. And, and what we know about Burrow and what the difference was for him at LSU was unlocking his superpower of everyone out in the route and letting him see the field and process and work the pocket, right? That's what we heard over and over again from people like Brody Miller about what changed between 2018 and 2019 at LSU when things went crazy for him. And and that was having all those incredible weapons winning out in space, and he's able to work it, okay? So I think for that fact, yes, absolutely. We we talk ourselves through this. You, You can see this is why we say you can't go wrong. I mean, you can see absolutely how all that works together and what having Boyd, Higgins, Chase, Mixon, Burrow together for a minimum of three years means. Growing together. All of them growing together is a big deal um, and means a lot. That's your core right there, and that that can go a whole long way, and that's super special, and and I totally get why people would be enamored by that um, whether fans or whether Duke Tobin, like that's and Zach Taylor, right? Like that all totally makes sense to me, and 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 it's it's very alluring. It's very alluring. And, and you know, AJ Green is gone, but but his his legacy lives on. He was the the anti diva wide receiver, and, and Tyler Boyd is in that vein. Um, it, it looks like T Higgins is going to be that way. He was. AJ was his idol growing up. That's why I asked Brody about that. If you do bring a Jamar Chase in, how are, how is that going to click? Because sometimes having three great wide receivers, it sounds good on paper. It's great fantasy football, but th- this is real life. And, you know, chemistry and personalities and, and my stats – mean my money how are those guys going to get along and and I, I thought that was interesting that he said that how, it is a little different college but still for for them to have that kind of room at LSU and and there wasn't it, it was competitive but it wasn't it wasn't you know backstabbing that kind of thing where I need to be the number one guy that they were all able to work in concert I just I think that the, the A.J. Green non-Diva wide receiver legacy can live on in this locker room even after he's gone. Yeah, I mean, the opt-out question hangs out there, and Brody touched mm-hmm. on that. I mean, and Duke Tobin talked about that uh, with us way back. We talked about the opt-out guys and pointed out that it's on the radar as a, con- as a concern and something something you need to dig into, why guys made those decisions. And, and you know, we don't know for that fact – you know, how they feel about Jamar Chase's opt-out. I mean, Brody pointed out he had nothing left to prove, and that's fair. Um, you know, you listen to Larry Holder on the lead talk about that with his family, about how it was just excruciating for Jamar having to watch and and go through the, those weekends with the games, and it was really tough and a tough time for him, and he moved back in with his family and out of Baton Rouge and all that stuff uh, because of how hard that was. And so – and that can be tough on a guy, but you know you've got so many aspects of business that you've got to kind of feel like your handle. And it's what are business decisions for Jamar Chase in the pros? How does he view making business decisions in the pros? We that's the these are the questions that these teams have to ask about off the field. On the field, I mean, you get it. Uh, no, there's no doubt. Um, so that's a lot about Jamar Chase. Uh, 
and, and kind of where we think all that all that stands and a pretty good chance that's it. But the other aspect of receivers in this, I think late round slot, we've kind of pinpointed as a potential. I mentioned Jalen Darden from North Texas. I mean, there's a bunch of these types of guys um, that you can that are going to be available. That are uh, is a really deep slot class um, that you can see happening later, and then they plug them in, and so you would have, you know, a room that would consist of Jamar Chase. T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate, Mike Thomas, and Jalen Darden, or insert late round slot guy here, who'd be taking the place of what Alex Erickson was. That's a fun receiver group. It's an explosive receiver group for Joe Burrow to work with. And for Zach Taylor and his 11 personnel, leads the league in 11 personnel the last couple of years to trot out there on a regular basis. And um, a pretty dynamic one. So, you could, yeah, I mean, there's. It would certainly then make sense the fact that they have not really made any true pursuit of receivers and free agency if you ended up feeling like you're going to even a doubly address the position here in the draft. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious. I, he he's not a long term solution, but a, a guy could a Trenton Irwin be an Alex Erickson slot guy in a pinch if something were to happen. Um, he's just he's an an interesting guy they tried to get as an undrafted free agent the year he came out. Um, didn't work out. He went elsewhere. I can't remember where did he go to. Can't remember where Miami? he went. Yeah, wherever he went first, they they released him, and then the the Bengals jumped on him because they liked him as an undrafted guy, and um, he, we saw him get a little bit of action last year, late in the season against Houston. I, again, not a long term answer, but um, I, I I think I would be surprised if, if they took a second wide receiver. Not ruling it out. But I, I would be surprised if if they took a second one. Feels like they could, with how deep this class is, they they could get a a, a slot guy um, in that undrafted free agency kind of frenzy at the end of the draft. Yeah, uh, Jay's got stats time. You've got wide receivers drafted with uh, with a thousand yard seasons, and you went into draft round. So I'm I'm curious. Yeah. So in since 2011, the last ten drafts. Wide receivers drafted in the first round have put together 51,000-yard seasons. Receivers drafted in rounds two through seven have a combined 54. So it's, it's second round, there's 27. Third round, there's 20. And then it falls. Uh, anything after the fourth round, none in the fourth round, seven in the fifth round, Marvin Jones. Uh, sixth round, none. Seventh round, none. So it is – I, I, there's other positions where you can really kind of strike gold late in the draft. We've seen it running back, We've seen it with linebacker, which that, that story's up today also. But it, it feels like wide receiver, that's you you get what you pay for at wide receiver. Yeah, the Bengals look like they hit a home run with T. Higgins in the second round. They certainly hit one with Tyler Boyd in the second round. But if you want that number one receiver that's going to be putting up 1,000-yard season after 1,000-yard season – it's not first round or bust, but your, your chances are three times as great um, as getting a, getting a guy like that in the first round as they are in the second round. All right, let's um, let's go to linebackers here um, real quick uh, before we jump out of this and talk a little bit about you know the linebackers piece. It's up now. I, look, we don't need to spend a ton of time on it because no. we don't really anticipate them doing it. Really, we can – the last three in the defense series here, linebackers, cornerback, safety, 
I mean, I think you actually have a better chance they don't take any of those positions than the ops. I mean, I if I were a betting man, I'd say zero yeah, of, of would these do. of these three positions would be selected. The, the one I could see because you always this is always when you're searching draft history and you're looking for positions, it, it's always kind of a a debate where a guy's listed as an edge and he's technically a linebacker, or he's listed as a linebacker and he's technically an edge. I could see them taking a guy like that because they do need edge help and they could take a guy that that is technically a linebacker but a guy that you could you could bring off the edge on th- on third down situations make him a make him a dedicated uh, specialty pass rusher on third down so I, I think that more likely is is what we would see if they were to go after a linebacker position at all they really like Logan Wilson they brought back Jordan Evans, which every year we cut him on our 53-man roster protection. Every year he makes the 53, and he comes back and does what he does on special teams and fills in, makes plays every now and then on defense. It just there, It's not like, oh, we're good at, at linebacker. We are set. But it, it's kind of the, the no-donkeys approach we talk about on the offensive line working at linebacker. It's, it's a rush and cover league. The linebackers are almost an afterthought at this point, and they, they spent so much – Three out of seven draft picks last year. Josh Bynes in free agency, who's obviously not been re-signed, but it, it just feels like last year was the year to really address the linebacker spot. And the, this year, I, it, I don't see that. And like you said, safety and corner, neither one. I, If I had to set the over-under on that, it would be .5, and I think I'd take the under. Yeah, and a big year for Jermaine Pratt coming up, and so I, but I think they're willing to give it to him. And and that to me is kind of the the variable here, because Logan Wilson we know they believe in, um, Davis Gaither they they scaled back his role a little bit and I think there's a lot, some doubt there. Pratt has played a decent amount of snaps. I think they're willing to give the benefit of the doubt that a bad defensive line in front of Pratt hurt him and, and hurt everybody. I mean it really made it hard to judge uh, the linebacker group and they I think they still have a lot of faith that Pratt can really be a solid linebacker in this league, three down linebacker and play with Wilson. So for that fact, you don't need to go back in the draft. If you, if you thought Pratt was an absolute bust and he was the latest Paul Dawson, Malik Jefferson, you list them all out. It's sad in the, uh, in the, in the story, but I mean, you know, all these third round busts, if you think he's the latest of those, then you, maybe you are, maybe you are considering going into the third round again, uh, into the breach once more, but uh, I don't think they feel that way. I think they feel like they've got enough backup options. Marcus Bailey, maybe Davis Gaither can develop as well, uh, that they're comfortable and willing to ride this out one more year and see how those guys grow. And and so we'll, I think for that will probably play itself out in the draft. All right. Well, uh, that wraps us up. Unless uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, much thanks to Brody Miller for coming on. We'll be back again uh, later this week. We'll dive a little bit into the other defensive positions, and we start really honing in on being one week out um, from the draft. So we start really getting into the specifics. So look out for that. And then our draft preview, our full draft preview episode will come out next Monday. Uh, so keep an eye out for that and that'll get you set setting the table for draft weekend and then of course after every day of the draft every night of the draft Jay and I will be here for you like it's game day it'll be like Sundays all over again 
Uh, after the uh, after the draft ends, Jay and I will wrap it up, and we will post it that night for you to uh, dive into. And, of course, plenty more coming from our draft coverage. I hope everybody, if you're not a subscriber, it is a great time to do so. Plenty going on, uh, not just here locally with between the Reds and Justin Williams is killing it over on UC. And Trent's got all kinds of great stuff. Of course, all our Bengals stuff and then uh, across the country. Uh, the Premier League coverage has been fantastic. Reaction to the Super League and all the stuff that's going on right now, which proud of my proud of my blues at Everton coming out, talking about the preposterous arrogance of the Super League people. Uh, so all that stuff, but you can get all that. Uh, with a subscription to The Athletic. Go check it out now. You can go to theathletic.com slash hear that podcast ground. Subscribe there as well. Thanks everybody for listening. We will talk to you later this week. Have a good one, everybody.